Welcome to the TLB Sports Group Podcast. I'm Tim Waring. Today, we'll be speaking to Paul Kirk. Paul Kirk has been involved in football coaching for over 34 years, progressing through the IFA Coach Development Programme from grassroots to his current status of a UEFA Pro Licensed Football Coach. He worked for the IFA for 12 years as a development officer and manager before managing at senior level, qualifying for European football on several occasions. Paul was also a coach educator for many years, but has now returned to youth football coaching with TW Braga. As a player, Paul had a successful career representing his country at youth level before winning three league championships with three different Belfast clubs. He also had a spell with Aston Villa, Reading and Oldham before moving south to play for Waterford United. At Waterford, Kirk won the FAI Cup. Paul's football career has given him the opportunity to play in many European games against teams such as Liverpool and Dynamo Tbilisi. He's also felt privileged to be part of the greatest game on earth. Paul is also a keen musician and loves to write poetry. Sit back and enjoy this episode with Paul Kirk. I'm good, mate. I'm good. All well, good. Tell, tell the listeners whereabouts are you this morning. Well, I'm sitting in my office here, which most people would probably call their kitchen. Um, overlooking, well, I can see from where I am, I can see the cranes, uh, Samson and Goliath with the shipyard. But mind you, haven't said that. And most places in Belfast, you can see Samson, Samson and Goliath. <laughs> they're, they're, that, they're that damn big, so they are, you know. But it's a nice, nice day. The sun has come out, um, so... Looks pleasant enough out there. Yeah, all set. Nice conditions for training this evening. Nice conditions for training, Tim. And as you know, all the preparation work is done. Um, so we're just looking forward to getting the, the boys in tonight. Hopefully we'll get a good one out. I know, especially in between all these storms that we've had, they'll be all looking forward to it. Yeah, it's been, and especially with a lot of the issues with COVID and stuff like that. You know, it's been so rampant in the schools. It's been difficult to get all the boys together at the one time. Um, mm-hmm. It seems to be most families are affected by it all, but um, listen, they're, they're a sturdy bunch, so they are, so I'm, I've no doubt they'll be out. Brilliant. And as I say, I can't wait to get kicked off into this because it's 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 such a great, well, life that you've lived in terms of from growing up in Belfast, your playing career, your coaching and management career, um, your involvement in youth football and development, and as well as that, your music and your poetry, you know, so I know a lot of listeners are going to be looking forward to this one. And we're going to take it right back to growing up as a boy in Belfast. Do you want to just give the listeners a quick overview of what it was like growing up and school life and part-time jobs and whatnot? Yeah, school life is just pretty much the same as most schools. Um, We didn't have an awful lot in them days. Um, You used to back your books. You had to back your books that the school gave you um, with... uh, the paper you put on the walls. <laughs> so that you was know what? It. I remember that as well. I remember oh. doing that on my books. Well, I used to I used to learn how to paper my own or paper back my own books, you know. And the real the real ones, the the, the kids who were really rich and famous and wealthy, they had brown paper, you know. So you <laughs> you knew they came from BT9. <laughs> um 
So uh, and not uh, not down the road, but no, that's growing up was good school. I enjoyed school. I went to uh, Greenwood Primary School. Uh, it was a, it was it was a really nice school. So it was. Um, I've got all my old photographs too from all the school photographs. Um, as your parents keep all those things, don't they? Like so, yeah. I've got all those to reflect back on. Mind you, I don't think my family will want to look at them whenever um, my my time on earth is finished. But nevertheless. I have them all written and it's it's good to look back and, and look at some of the, the people that I used to remember. And you bump into them occasionally anyway, so you do. But but Greenwood was a lovely school, so it was to, to go to. And I had lovely teachers and I had a lovely, happy time there, so I had. Um, we coaching there. We're going to be after school club in there. I'll be there tomorrow. Yeah, and I went back there to vote there not that long ago. And and the girl said to me, where are you going? I says, I'm, I'm going up there to look at my old classroom. And the smell was exactly the same as the smell I remember. It transported me back to when I was four or five. Wow. It was the same smells. It was, I walked up, it was the same wee steps that the head mistress's room was in the same place. And I dandered up and I looked at the classroom um, where I, I spent most of my time, you know, in there. I thought the, the woman there, the teacher there, thought I was going to be... Uh, a bird enthusiast because I just used to stare out the window all the time, watch all watch all the different birds fly by. And was sat in the window, so I had a seat right beside the window, and I was more interested in what was going on outside, and I was what was going on inside. Brilliant. To be honest with you, um, <laughs> but uh, no, a lovely time at that school. Uh, very fond memories of primary school. Then I moved um, from what, what years would I have been when you were primary school? My goodness, um, I was born in 1953, so what would that be? Uh, um, 57, 58, 1958. 58, 58, 59, you know, mm-hmm. and round about that time, you know. Um, and it's amazing how your life shoots by so quick because I'm just saying to you there, I was in primary school and it doesn't seem that long ago till I was wearing a fur <laughs> wearing those fur coats <laughs> and dressing up, dressing up like a hippie. You know, <laughs> I mean, I used to love going into Smithfield just to go into the ex-army store and come out dressed as a RAF pilot. And, you know, just it was crazy, crazy days, those, you know. I remember buying a pair of uh, white American sailor bottoms. You know, those ones that makes you, when you walk, you don't think you've no feet. You just look <laughs> as if you're gliding along. Yeah. I, think they were about, I think they were about a 62-inch bottoms. <laughs> so, and uh, they didn't last very long because I needed to go to the toilet and I didn't realise that whenever I needed to go to the toilet I had eight buttons down one side eight buttons down the other side and, and four, five buttons across the inside and then another five buttons across them and I said any wonder they're so flat tummy waist you know um, <laughs> they didn't stay very white for long then huh? didn't stay very white not when you're sitting about shop floors and sitting outside Smithfield listening to records being played, Jimi Hendrix and those people like, you know. But no, school life was good. Then I moved from, from Greenwood to, to Strandtown. Uh, Strandtown, is a, as, as you know yourself, Tim, you have after-school activities in there. Strandtown is a magnificent school, and I was so blessed to be able to get into that school and, and, and have it there. A lot of my life has been shaped in that school in terms of my arts, my crafts, 
my love of music, my love of poetry, um, just everything, a love of art, um, making things. It, it was just, and uh, we used to do football. You used to go outside all the time, and, and you had physical education classes, PE, they called them. Mm-hmm. And there was loads of them throughout the course of the week. But it's just that that school shaped me for everything. That was a really good time. And it introduced me to sport as well, um, running, like everything. It was just wonderful times. Mm. Um, and and then days, my mother, because my father had passed away when we were in holiday in Galway, he was teaching me to swim and um, he, he took a heart, heart attack on the water. And by the time they got him, to the hospital and stuff, it was too late, like, you know, so we lost them pretty early on in life. And uh, so in terms of anything that came my way after that, in terms of sporting activities, I really shared it with myself because my mother didn't bother much in terms of that sport. Uh, Lou, she would have supported me, but she, she really um, didn't bother an awful lot. So I always remember, and I know I'm deviating and I'm, I'm inclined to do this at times, I remember my first international for youth international was against England, mm-hmm. and it was at Mournview Park Youth Internationals, and we'd never beaten England. In fact, we'd never won the, the home championships at youth level at all, mm-hmm. and uh, we beat England three one. And I scored two that day, and I remember coming back from the game, and he got dropped off in town at uh, where the Europa Hotel would be now. Um, mm-hmm. The bus dropped us off there, and then um, you walked from there round to SS Moors. Used to be there at Great Victoria Street, but I'd be right in saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To get the bus home, and I was standing there with my kit bag over my shoulder, feeling as proud as as punch, mm. and looking around and thinking, "I've just scored two goals against England, and none of these people even know this." You know, it's a, I remember that feeling, thinking, you know, they don't know what I've just achieved. I knew what I had just achieved, and I had that such such pride in what I'd just achieved. Mm-hmm. And I felt I needed to share it with somebody, but I had nobody to share it with. If In terms mm-hmm. of that, I remember them asking me, if has anybody come to the game, many tickets you need? And I says, no, I don't need any tickets. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, well, is you nobody coming? I says, no, but there'll be nobody there. And that had a, an effect on me, so it had, in terms of, um, obviously, whenever the teams were ready to go out, there's a team photograph taken, and I'm not in it. Um, that's because I felt I needed to go into the toilet area, get away from everybody, yeah, and uh, have a bit of time to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, so those were that was it was difficult then, so it was um, yeah, not being able to share that experience with mm-hmm. with anybody, like you know. But that sense sense of pride that I had afterwards. Um, but um, but there there you go. You know that, that was it. So Strongtown was really good, um, really good school for me, and it just made a, a whole lot of marvelous things. So it did you know? Yeah, and you know those that listen to the, the the bonus episode will hear about you know you developing uh, from a goalkeeper at Strongtown to playing up front and going to civil service. Yeah. And it was that that sort of gave you the, the platform, if you like, then for you to start playing in the, the Irish League before taking you across the water. I mean, talk us through that, how that all came about. I was playing for civil service and, and I, I progressed. 
And then in, in them days, there was an old fella lived up the street from me, a fella called Hugh Gilmore, and he, he used to run civil service. And he invited me because I was kicking the ball and putting through glass windows. And uh, I mean, that's why I had to get two jobs. I was, I was putting that many windows in. It was, <laughs> my mother couldn't afford to pay for anymore. But, but we used to, it used to be the house beside us had double gates and we had double gates and there were um, semi-detached, so there was two curved corners. And used to, I used to get the Wembley plastic ball, home from school, Wembley plastic ball. And I used to go to the far side of the street and push it as hard as I could with the side of my foot so that it hit the curb and then came up in the air. And then I used to run and time the jump and then try and head it between the, the posts, you know, the, the, the gate posts. Yeah, yeah. That's how I used to practice my heading. Um, mm. And I, I would have spent hours doing that. With a with a Wembley ball, and then you'd have hit you'd have hit it and went into the garden and hit the rose bush, and then it was bust. <laughs> but because we had no money, then we we learnt skills. You know, heat a pin, and then used to rub the pin, the hot pin, over the top of the the plastic, and it used to seal it, and then blow the ball up, and then away we went again. Oh, yeah. You because know, mm. you couldn't afford to go and buy a new ball, so you had to try and fix them. You know. Mm. Mm. Uh, the best you could, like you know. So, uh, but no, that's I, I spent the hours. So he invited me up the civil service to train. So I used to train with all the boys. And it was again, Tim. Life, life has been really good for me. I have to say, in terms of sport and the people I met and and the experiences that I've got that teach you how to behave and how to get on in those areas of sport, mm. uh, changing room areas and and round the club and stuff like that. And after training, the boys used to go up and play, play lives on the snooker table. So they used to put three, three D. It was a three D bit, and uh, go and play, uh, play lives. You potted somebody that lost a life. You had three lives each, and they used to pay my three pound for me. There was our three, three D. Um, yeah. There was a fellow called Victor Moore. Um, it was Sammy Moore, SS Moore's, uh, one of his sons. He was the captain. So I used to train them, and used to get, and they used to buy me a pint of milk. So I always had the paint of milk, and then one of the boys always dropped me back off at the door. So you learn all those wee things. You appreciate all those wee things. And I've done that for other people because it was done for me. Because tech people took time for me, so I've had that ability to be able to take time for them because I always think, well, somebody done it for me at one stage of my life. And goodness knows where I might have ended up because at that particular time, we had all the troubles kicking off and would people joining different paramilitary organizations and my life went then to the football and civil service and it mm-hmm. took me away from a lot of the boys who would uh, probably associated with who ended up going in a different direction than what I was you know so I'm always very grateful in terms of that um so I went up to civil service and I said I was setting up a tray I told you that story and ended up scoring for the uh, seconds and then I ended up playing on a regular basis and then I got promoted to the first team and I scored a few goals coming towards the end of the season for the first team and the amateur 1A it was in that time and I was only a child to be honest with you but I was a big child yeah. um, and there was a, a wee man called Smiler Moore came and he watched me and he says to me uh, I scout for Balamina I want to take you to Balamina um, mm-hmm. and again there's the Balamina connection because I, <laughs> I ended up leading Glen Torn for Balamina but yeah. Um, then the, the 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 people at the club said because I had no parent, I had no father figure for the to, to look upon, um, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the men said to me, "Look, you're not going to Balamina. 
how are you going to get the training? How are you going to do this? And it's just, it's just not a, a gore. So they then said, no, he's not going. So I stayed the following season and I played in the Premier and the 1A for civil service. And I started scoring a load of goals. I was scoring goals on a regular basis. And the wee man, Smitter Muir, came back and says, I've left Ballymena, I've joined Glen Torn. Well, boy, my eyes lit up and my ears pricked up. This is a team that I used to make cups and scarves and buy a white T-shirt and buy green, red and black ribbon and put it across and get it stitched on and all just to think that... Because you had no replica kits in them days, so you had to make your own replica kit. <laughs> um, so, uh, of course, then off I went then and joined Glen Torn and uh, played in their youth teams and got some reserve team games throughout the course of that season. And then the following season... Um, Peter McParlin was the manager mm-hmm. and the following season then still a, a young boy 15 just turned 16 um, mm-hmm. I got my opportunity then because I dropped this door a couple of times I was a cheeky boy in them days too like I was quite forward as you <laughs> probably know um, <laughs> I don't sort of mince about with my words if I feel like I need to say something or if it's not right then I said yeah um, but um and it's probably not always the best way to be, but I've always worked yeah. off the principle if I don't stand up for something, I'll fall for everything. Yeah, and you're not and going to change at this stage. <laughs> I'm not going to change at 68. I'm not going to change. You know? <laughs> so all those people I've, I've hurt or come across that <laughs> haven't been very pleasant to you. If you're listening, I'm very, I'm very apologetic to you. <laughs> but it's not to say that if you say something, I won't, I won't come back at you. Um, and the same can be said about coaching as well, Tim. You know, I mean, it's probably held me back a bit. You know, in terms of not agreeing with with the norm, mm. I never agreed with the norm. I was always trying to find something different. You know, even in football, it was something different to be learned. Yeah. And I was always open minded, and that all coaches out there should be the same. You know. Try and replicate somebody because oh he's a good coach and take on their mannerisms. Be yourself. Be honest to yourself. Do your own thing. Search your own ideas and don't be afraid of them. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you get a break, well and good. There's an old saying, isn't it? You know, and it's not lucky. People say to me, "Oh, you've been lucky throughout your days," and all. It hasn't been luck. There's a mm-hmm. saying there, there there is that says, "Luck is what happens when preparation." meets opportunity mm-hmm. so if you work hard enough for the game as a coach and you develop your skill knowledge and your base knowledge and and your ethos in terms of your game and stay firm to yourself once that opportunity comes that preparation that you have put in will see you through 100 yeah. yeah so well you know but um so i, I wrapped the again i went off on the tangent you know I've, <laughs> Um, again, I wrap the door of the manager and I says to him, look, I'm scoring goals for the reserve team here and you aren't scoring goals. So it's cheeky, like, you know. Yeah. But when am I going to get a chance, you know? And uh, that's when he brought me in then to the first team for that Wednesday evening game, uh, Tuesday evening game at Cliftonville. Um, mm-hmm. I scored twice, you know. And then I never kicked an hour ball for about an hour. <laughs> and the first team for about an hour, <laughs> maybe two or three months. Goodness. I think his attitude was, you know, right, your your head's not going to go in the clouds, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was hard to accept because I felt I should have been in the first team 
from that moment in time onwards, you know. Mm. Um, but it did come for me. Uh, eventually it came for me. And, and you just got to be patient and, mm. and, and let, let it happen. So had a good career at Glen Torren as uh, and Youth Internationals. Um, we won that Youth International tournament, so we did. It was the first time we'd ever won it. So I'd, I was fortunate enough there. It was another good piece of success as a youth player, you know. Um, and then went on to Balamina and uh, had a, lust, a lustrous career at, at uh, in the Irish League football. Had a good mm-hmm. career at Balamina, scored 44 goals or something in one season, or over 40, 40 odd goals in one season. Um, and I had a couple of trials at Aston Villa. I looked as if I was going to go there and it fell through. And I went to Reading and it fell through. I went to Oldham. It fell through. Um, and so did the wall in the hotel. <laughs> I, was, I was sent to Oldham on trial and I was playing on a reserve match that night. And I was staying in the hotel and... Was it um, Hitley? Tony Hitley was the father, wasn't it? The father was at Oldham at the time. And he said to me from a corner kick, you go near post and I'll come in behind you. Well, he did come in behind me, but the ball was onto my head and it was nowhere, it was going anywhere but the back of that. Uh-huh. And uh, he pushed to get out of himself. Obviously, he wanted to get the glory and I ended up on the ground. He came down on top of my knee. And the whole thing flexed. Well, I couldn't hardly move, so it stretchered me off, took me to the hospital the bandies did all up, sent me back to the hotel. So I thought, I'm stinking here, so I better get washed. So again, going back, you said shower, bath, you know, bath was for me. And yeah. I got into the bath and pushed this leg out. So I was lying in the bath, lovely, soaking in the bath, lovely. And I felt this thing hit me in the back of the head. And I, I turned around, it was a piece of plaster. And I remember looking up and then just covering myself. One of the tides had come loose and the steam in the room had loosened all the tides and they all came in like a deck of cards. And by the time that the noise had stopped and I opened my eyes, all I could see was the water turned red and I was looking around at cuts and cuts on my head and my shoulder and my arms. Oh. And, uh, so I, I got out of bed and threw a towel around me and I phoned down the reception and the boy came up and got me. They took me back to the hospital that I'd just left. And they ended, up, they ended up having to stitch my shoulder and my arm and a couple of stitches in my head. And um, then the manager came out and he says, look, we're not going to be able to send you home until you're perfectly fit, you know, with that knee. I says, you're getting me home now. I says, yeah. I'm staying here no longer. So that was me. Took the, uh, the airport and somebody met me at the other end and got me got me fixed up, you know. So that was a poor experience. But so... Well, a funny one when you look back on it. Yeah, sure. Like faulty towers you're staying on. <laughs> it was like faulty towers, so it was. But but no, I had a good career in terms of that. So then I moved on Crusaders. I, mm-hmm. I left Palomino and scored a lot of goals and went to Crusaders and won a league title. And I, I must, have, must tell you, I won a league title at Glen Torn that year that, that I broke into the first team. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my first league title, when, which was class, and especially mm-hmm. for a team that you supported as a boy. Yeah. Um, and playing with the players that I played with, Billy McKeague, Walter Bruce, they were all legends and heroes of mine. These were boys that I was had their pictures up on my, on my bedroom wall. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be actually playing with them, this, you know, it's, they were the Messies and the, and the Beckhams and the Giggses and my day and my, yeah. and my day, like you know. So that was that was tremendous. So I moved to Crusaders and I want to. A league championship with Crusaders, 
and we ended up with played Liverpool at Anfield. That was one of the draws. And I had I got a cartilage operation on on that summer. I damaged my knee and needed cartilage operation. So I had to get uh, six weeks or something to get fit, and I got fit. Um, to go to Anfield to play at Anfield. Um, yeah. and I remember that I just chased shadows all night. Just uh, just couldn't get the ball off. Boyshack, mm. um, Keegan, Clements, and that's you know Hughes, Smith, um, Ray Kennedy, and you know it's just unbelievable. Callahan on one wing and the the Irish guy on the other wing. You know, what that must be, I mean a, a massive, uh, I mean a huge experience as a boy to play able to play at uh, at Anfield, and, and that was the club obviously you supported as well. Oh, 100%. It was crazy, so it was, you know. Was it, was it back in the day that you would have changed tops at the end? Was there anybody's top well, you were trying to get? We, we couldn't have changed tops. We only had the two tops, you know. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you never changed tops in them days. No chance. <laughs> so you did, they give you like a, I think we got a, t- saying Liverpool versus Crusaders on it, you know. Um, but I remember getting close to the end of the game and they only beat us 2-0 and Toshak scored a header in the last minute. And their first goal was a penalty by Phil Neal, um, who the crowd whistled as he was taking the penalty. So the German referee didn't do us any favours. It was a horrible decision, to be honest with you. So they were getting those decisions wrong in them days as well. Um, But less said, the better about that. Um, But no, it was was great. I remember bending over, grabbing, putting my hands in the side of my hips. I was exhausted. And... uh, Amelin Hughes, or I think it was Amelin Hughes, came walking by me, and because uh, I'd just done doggies across their back lane, they just kept moving the ball about. You couldn't get the ball off him, mm-hmm. um, and he hit me a slap in the backside. So he did because I was bent over. And he says, "Don't be stopping now." He says, "The team need you to keep moving." Amazing. And I just looked up at him and I thought, "Outstanding." Yeah, yeah. You know? And that gave me the that, that gave me the impetus to, to go on. And run for an hour, 10, 15 minutes at full pelt, you know. Mm-hmm. I thought, you're right. I can't, I can't let let my, my teammates down, you know. And I've never been like that. I've always played like that, but I was, I just got to the stage where I was exhausted. It's so it just shows, even though I thought I was exhausted, just with a little bit of encouragement. Aye, you can find I was, a little bit. I was able to find another 10, 15 percent of energy mm-hmm. that's seen me through the game. And what age were you playing at Anfield? Uh, 20. Six, maybe. Oh, about twenty. And how, so how many? I wasn't, I wasn't a boy. Like I was a, I was a man. But, yeah, um, yeah. And how many was that in the crowd? Do you remember that? And what was it like being in front of the crowd? Probably about, it was probably about, probably a full house. To be honest with you, because they were expected to beat us in work like a record score in Europe. Yeah. And it just didn't work out for them that time. And then we had the great game back in Belfast, where Keegan, where they beat and eventually beat us, um, four or five. Um, but McAteera, I'd set McAteer up twice and he hit the post with one and hit the crossbar with the other one before they even scored. So it was, they were, they were great games, absolutely mm. great times in, in terms of that, you know. Yeah. So I moved from, from, I moved from there then and I went to, uh, I went to Linfield briefly and I won another league championship medal there. So I think I was the first person to win three league championships with three different Belfast teams. Now, I know some of your listeners probably are thinking, well, you know, that's three league titles. But in them days, it was Glentor and Linfield. Mm-hmm. There wasn't anybody else. It was like Rangers Celtic. It was, mm-hmm. it was a dominance 
Yeah. And Crusaders had broke that dominance to win a league championship outside of the big two. So they were like the Aberdeen? The Aberdeen, <laughs> yeah, exactly, or the Hearts, yeah. preferably, you know. Um, <laughs> but, so that was great. So I think I was the first person to win three. I know Chris, I, I know some of the boys has done it now. After that, um, mm-hmm. Chris and Morgan, I think, has won it. And... Uh, some of the other boys, um, but at least that, that was the first one to do that, you know. So, so those, that was good, and it was mm-hmm. a good experience at Linfield as well to see how Linfield run their club, which was mm-hmm. totally professional and all shapes and forms. I was very impressed when I went there in terms of all that. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you get you get on with with your life, and then I went down to Waterford and I played there, and I. Haven't haven't won those league championships. I was fortunate to play against a whole lot of really top teams in Europe. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think when I counted it up, I think I had some like fourteen or sixteen European games. That's like home and away. You know, yes. um, went down to Waterford. We beat Hibernians of Malta, and then we we drew uh, Dynamo Tbilisi. So flew to Moscow. So I was able to see Moscow. Then we. When we, because we won the FAI Cup down there, we beat St. Pat's, which was the first time in 40 years. The one experience that was, Tim, I mean, every the street workers, the milkmen, they all delivered double rounds of milk and, and stuff like that there mm-hmm. so they could be free for the bus coming back, open their bus they had for us crossing the bridge at Waterford. Wow. It was 40,000 people. The streets were black with people. The whole town square was black with people. Called us up individually. It was just, it was like what you see now with Liverpool coming home with European Cup and them days. You know, it was crazy stuff. You know, um, I remember coming out of the hotel and three of us walking down the streets, worse for wear from the night before. <laughs> and, and there was, there was uh, three road sweepers with their shovels and their brushes. And uh, there's no mobile phones in them days. You didn't have that pictures and stuff like that there. So, yeah. oh, wait, wait, wait there, boys, wait there, wait there, man. And they run in the hardware store and they come out with a brush and a tin of black paint. Right. And we had, we had the writer names on their brush and on their shovels. <laughs> <laughs> and they propped them up against the wall and they said, we'll have to wait till they drag. So it was no work done. <laughs> <laughs> Tell a, a slightly different way to give an autograph, huh? Oh. Honestly, <laughs> that was uh, I was I was treated like a, a king down in Waterford. The water, people of Waterford were magnificent people, so and I still go down to this day. I still get invited down to some of the different functions and stuff that they do, and they bring us down and put us up in the hotel and and stuff like that. Unfortunately, COVID has has ruined the 40, 40th year anniversary of that team. Went in the cup, you know, they were to have a big, big gala night for it. So, unfortunately, that didn't happen, but but no, it was great. So, it was you I'm know. hoping in the future I get that. And as I say, I mean, what an achievement winning then the FAI Cup down there. Yeah. And, and yeah. the listeners, make sure you listen to the bonus episode because you never guess this as we talk. There's a magpie sitting on the tree out the front of my office here. Uh, there's a, a fantastic story that Paul will tell you about the magpie story. So, listen to the bonus episode to get that before the cup final. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, Tim, you're, you're meant to say to it, good morning, Mr. Magpie, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's away now. <laughs> you're probably not superstitious anyway, so. Uh, no, no, that was, that, that was I, I had a, a really an illustrious playing career in terms of local football over here and the teams that I played against. And, 
when I was at Linfield, we played against Moscow Dynamo and Lilstrom and uh, it was just outstanding. So it was some I mean, those experiences, I suppose, as well. That you know, the traveling uh, that you get, this you get to see places in the world that you probably wouldn't have done, you know, if you weren't a, a footballer. Well, well, when we were when we played Dynamo to Blisi, um, so we did the uh, we had to fly into Moscow, so we stayed in Moscow, and you know, you know, why they say when you get out and you walk about, there was people following you. Mm-hmm. From a distance, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Your every move was watched, one hundred percent. So it was. Um, so we had a flight to Moscow, and we stayed in a hotel just outside Red, outside Red Square, uh-huh. and we were able to leave the hotel. The hotel was that big, Tim, that we had to get a bus to take us right round the outside of the hotel to the dining area, and a bus the whole way back to the reception again. That's how massive was. Um. So we're outside Red Square. We're allowed to then go out and see the changing of the guard, which was marvellous. So mm-hmm. it was, you know, at the tomb, you know. So we're able to go in the, in the Red Square and, and watch that happen. Um, mm-hmm. But some great experiences, absolutely, which I, I, I would never have happened had I not have been for football. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm so grateful for the game. And that's why I'm still working at the game now, even at 68. And I still yeah. hopefully have the same enthusiasm as what I had then. Um because there's none to beat that, especially when you're working with young young players. Yeah. Um, encouragement and enthusiasm are key, you know, um, to getting them on. But discipline's also a major thing as well. So it is, you know, you, they need to be, they need to know what discipline is because it's a, it's a crazy world out there, you know. Yeah, yeah, no. I still see the passion. I still see the passion at 60 at the, the Braga sessions this evening. Yeah. And uh, on that note, look at that. The two, there's two magpies now. They must be listening to this podcast. Tim, there was one outside my door. I sent them over to you. <laughs> he's just left it on one big, massive stick. He must be going, I know what he's doing with that. But, uh, you know, before we talk about the transition from player to coach, you've got a real passion away from football with music and poetry. If you want to tell us more about that. Yeah. Uh, um. I was very friendly with a fella called Ronnie Greer, who has the Ronnie Greer Blues Band, which if anybody in Belfast has, hasn't heard them, you need to go out and hear them once the live music comes back. He's a top-class guitar player. He's as good a guitar player as there is anywhere in the world. And really, really top-class player. And I got friendly with him, and he said to me, I, I was playing guitar, um, strumming guitar, um, just for party pieces, you know, if you were having a sing-song or something, there's, there's guitar, bring it out, have a strum and stuff like that. And I liked that. And he took me to see this fella called Tommy Emmanuel, um, Australian guitar player, acoustic guitar player. And I was blown away with him. Fingerstyle guitar player, like Chet Atkins and stuff like that, you know. And uh, I, I decided, you know, I've got to learn how to play the guitar that way. I've got to learn how to finger pick and how to do that. So I've worked at it and worked at it and worked at it until I've got myself to the stage now where I've probably got about five or six guitars, um, of acoustic guitars, I write my own music, instrumental, may I add. Um, although I have wrote one or two other pieces of music, which my, my cousin has put words to, um, and she then performed it um, because they were in the showbiz mm-hmm. scene, so they were. Um, but I love the music. I love my guitars. I play them every day, every day in life. I have them sometimes in the house, and I just lift them as I'm walking by and play ones or two bits of pieces of music, and 
just learn things. The other thing I, I, I love is my art. I love oil paintings. Mm-hmm. Loads of oil paintings. I would probably give them away for charity events and stuff like that there, you know. Um, and I love my poetry. Um, and that it's it's a, something that I've done. And again, it comes back from Strontown School where mm-hmm. they introduced you to poetry and taught you how to put verses together and stuff like that, you know. So now, whenever I feel disturbed about anything or, or I usually put it down in, in, in writing, so I do. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll share this one with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was walking, I got off the bus in town and I, I was a wet, damp desert and I walked across the, 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 the lights and there was a, a fella lying in the doorway of uh, of the library, Belfast Library. Mm-hmm. And there's three three boys taunting him, if you put it that way. Mm-hmm. Weren't being very pleasant towards him anyway, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember thinking, uh, you, you know what I'm like, Tim, you know. <laughs> so by the time I got there, I said to him, hey, why don't you show a bit of respect? You know, be thankful for what you've got. Mm-hmm. And leave the fellow alone. Take yourselves mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. So just uh, one or two words were said, and then the, to- the, the way they went. So sort of annoyed me, you know, and the fella just looked at me. It was lying there, you know, and I, I didn't know what to say to him. I didn't know what to do. So I walked around the town, done what I had to do, and on my way back, he was still there. And when I got in the house, I said, uh, said to my partner, I says, you know, told her a story. She says, put it down paper. Mm-hmm. She says, that's what you usually do, don't you? So then I went in and I thought, oh, you know, you're right. So eventually then I, I, I thought about it, thought about this lad, and I thought, Okay, so I wrote this poem about um, the Belfast door boy. And it goes like this. In the city of Belfast, sheltered from the cold, is a boy in a doorway, I couldn't say how old, with trainers well-worn, those socks on his feet, his hair unkept dreadlocks, and his eyes full of sleep. This doorway is home for him at this time, for me, I want for nothing. I'm just glad it's not mine. Has he family or friends? Does no one know that his life's in the street with nowhere to go? So let's not look upon this boy with eyes of disdain as he shelters in the doorway from the cold and the rain, but with eyes of compassion and understanding that he, unlike us, won't be going home for tea. So I felt beautiful. You know, that pretty much summed it up for me, you know. Yeah, uh, that's amazing, amazing talent. You got a great way of words, and it just it, it feels so much better. But when I read it out, even now I can still see that that young yeah. fella, yeah. and I often wonder where he is or what has ever happened to him, you know. Yeah. Um. Perhaps I should have done more for him that at that day, you know. But I don't know. Yeah. So anyway. No, you've got, real, I'm telling you what, you've got a real flair and real talent. Um, and Because I remember at our end-of-season dinner, uh, oh, Charlie Bow, he won uh, oh, yeah. one of the prestigious awards, our, our Subway Achievement Cup. Yeah. And you put you penned together a lovely piece of poetry for him. Yeah, well, Charlie's a nice kid, so he has a nice family. They come from, come from a good family, and the parents are very supportive of him, and you know Charlie, I know Charlie very well. He's a very well mannered young boy, so he is, you know, and it just you know, it was a wonderful achievement for him to get it. And he mm-hmm. had, when I looked at him receiving it, 
he was so full of joy and pride and excitement. And I just thought, you know, this is a moment where I need to put something down in paper again. You know? Yeah. Amazing. It turned out yeah. okay. The parents yeah. were well. And he sent me a lovely message saying, you know, thanks, which we expect from Charlie anyway, you know. Yeah. It's a measure of the young fella. Yeah. Know? Really is, really is, and what what this brings us in great now then is that transition from player to coach, and we're sort of wanting to get across your journey, you know, going through the coaching badges with the roles that you held with the Irish FA, and uh, where the success started, I suppose, then back at a club that you played for and supported as a boy at Glen Torn. Yeah, well, it all. I really when I when I finished playing football, I went into management. Now, the money some amateur league sides. I started off there um, at Killalay, and we got through to the final of the board, our final of the the, uh, the border cup. We we're runners up in the league, and we we're, we're beating the final of the borders cup. We we're runners up in the league, and we we're beating the fa- uh, the final of the Steen Sons Cup, and beating the semi final of the intermediate cup. So we were like too short, too much short of fulfilling fifty games for an amateur club, which was crazy. And yeah. um, then I moved on from from them. I went to Barge Rangers for a period of time, and then eventually, then I moved to Ballyclare uh, Comrades. And these were learning experiences. I went to Ballyclare as a coach um, to work under a, a manager, and uh, that was good experience for me that, there. Although I hadn't any coaching bars at the time, so eventually I stopped doing it all. And uh, my son Andrew, he was growing up. And uh, he was taking an interest in football because at that point he was he was only interested in like martial arts and stuff. So he started taking an interest at ten, mm-hmm. um, and I went and watched him playing. And he, he he was a goal scorer as well. He was scoring. He was very very quick, lethally quick for his age, and he could finish. And uh, eventually, I went and watched him playing playing for Dungoyne and boys. And then the fella asked me, would it, would I take a team? So from that moment in time, I thought, if I'm going to take it, then I need to do my coaching badges. Mm-hmm. So then eventually I went in and done my B licence and then went on from my B licence to my A licence. Um, and then at that moment in time, I got paid off out of work. I got my redundancy out of work at Shorts. And I got a job in the Irish Football Association as a youth development coach going around mm-hmm. the schools. Um, so from that, then I started... We moved the Dungoyne boys moved to Glen Torrent when they were about fifteen years of age, mm-hmm. and we won everything and and junior and the boys club football and the team that we put together then and the football that they played was just breathtaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we could keep the ball for 25, 30 touches. You know, some some clubs were going out and beating teams 15, 16, 17. If we were two or three nil up, I used to give them. Options, I used to say to them, right, we're not allowed to score until you've made 20 passes or 15 passes, mm. or you're not allowed to score. You, you can work the ball up the 18 yard box, bring it back, and attack. They were that good, we could put those sort of um, issues on them, if you yeah. know, or to make them, uh, restrictions to make them develop their game. Um, and out of that, that team, my son ended up a full international. Um, Stuart Elliott ended up a full international. Paul Lehman ended up playing 500-odd games for Glen Torn. Colin Nixon ended up playing over, what? He's over 500-odd games, yeah. you know, uh, for Glen Torn. Um, we had 
Paul Emerson went to Leicester, and with loads of those players all ended up playing Irish League football, and the majority of them ended up getting under twenty one caps. None of them were selected at youth at, at schoolboy level. None of them were selected at youth international level at sixteen or eighteen. Well, eighteen, yes, not at sixteen. Mm-hmm. So we develop we develop the players to learn the game. And this mm-hmm. is something that's it's deep in my in, in my mind. You can do skills at the early stage, develop the skills, develop the techniques, but there comes a cutoff point whenever you've got to start now and learn the other parts of the game. Mm-hmm. And that's your control features, your your passing features, your options, your positional play, learning the game. Mm-hmm. What's expected of you, and hard enough. What these boys were, then they understood exactly what the, the game was. Yeah, um, they were moving the ball about, and and that team was like a. There was fifteen year olds in that team playing in an under eighteen league, so we were playing in a league in them days, where some of the boys were eighteen going on nineteen. Mm-hmm. And my boys were like fifteen maybe going 16 or something like that. So they were yeah. giving some time away. And we won the Harry Cavan Youth Cup. I don't think Glenn Torn have won it since. And we won it with that 15-year-old team. We, we beat Lurgan, Lurgan Town um, 2-0 two, two or something in the final at the Oval. It was played at the Oval. Um, yeah. So they won that. And they won everything in the South Belfast League. Um, so those were really good times for me. Uh, in terms of, of taking that team and after that with that success uh, a lot of those players obviously went into the Glentorn first team and as I said in the full international some of well, the majority of them were under 21 internationals yeah, yeah. we uh, then took the job on at the Stillery um, the Stillery were relegated to the first division and I wanted in the senior football I wanted to push myself and I needed to get away from managing and coaching my own son as well and let him get on with his life. Yeah. Um, so I took a distillery job, was fortunate enough to get it. And I remember then, you know, distillery then were saying in players who were coming towards the end of their career and they were already, bad, not saying bad habits, but they were coming towards the end of their career and they weren't going to push the boundaries, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. that team had to be rebuilt. And I remember closing the door one time and clearing the change rooms and just all the players in there. And I thought to myself, you know, it's either me or I'll give it up. Mm. It's either going to be my way or I'm going to give it up because I wasn't enjoying it because, yeah. of, the, because of the performances and c- couldn't care less attitude and stuff. So I went round every one of them and I told each one of them what I thought of them, all senior pros. And I said to them, now you can have a word of me. You can tell me what you think of me now. And not one of them spoke. And I said to them then, I says, each and every one of you will not be here next year, regardless of your contract. You're out. I says, the only thing I want from you now is the last six months of the season, you give me everything that you've got. And to be fair, they did. Mm. I honoured that agreement with them. I'm really stolen. And had to start a rebuild job all over again. Mm. Um, so... We rebuilt the team with younger players. Um, and I had this, because I'd worked with young players and because I knew what I could achieve with young players and because I knew what young players were capable of giving me, I had the trust and the belief in them to be able to play them at that higher level. 
Yeah. So the distillery team then that we formed to get us out of the first division um, was a young side. Um, and we developed that. Eventually we got, we won the league and we won the Ulster Cup. That team then, we had to break that down because once we won the league, we went into the Premier League and we were found wanting again and we got relegated because we didn't have enough quality players to keep us in that division. And apart from that, for me as a coach, I needed to understand what was needed at a premiership level. So I wasn't arriving there thinking, well, I know everything. I needed to find out what it was like to win games at Premier League level mm-hmm. and to get that, not comfort, but understanding of, of, of the game in terms of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we rebuilt the team. We got out of the first division again. So we won this first division for the second time. And then this time, our job was to consolidate in the, in the Premier League. And we did that. We finished second from bottom or mm-hmm. third from bottom or something. So we stayed up. Mm-hmm. And then we added another one or two good players. And then we ended up going mid-table. And then we had that great youth academy, which we were part of, for Raymond Alexander. We just developed this youth academy mm-hmm. and we were brought in and that co- as a, a coach, Tim. And yeah. you know yourself, eventually you took over and become my director of youth football at, mm-hmm. at, at the Stillery. And that youth setup produced us some outstanding talent. Yeah. Now, the beauty for those boys was that they had a manager who was trustworthy of their ability, regardless of their age. Mm-hmm. So what, what we did was, if you remember back, what we did was we, I went and watched all the games. I went and watched all the training. I was involved in everything that was going on. Um, and the youth players, the best of them, and I remember it was Mark Patton, it was... Uh, Oscar Thompson. Stuart Thompson... Uh, there was McGee, um, there was, a, there was a f- five or six of them, and uh, we brought them in with the first team and we paired them off with a, a first team player. Now, in them days, that wouldn't have been heard of, so we had a mentor for them. So, yeah. if they were having problems, they went and played to the reserves at on the Saturday, so we came in Tuesday and Thursday, they trained with the first team, but they trained, they, they'd done the warm up with this designated player, senior player. So the player was able to talk to them, change beside them in the change rooms, uh, found out any problems, and they would then come to me mm-hmm. and say to me, you know, Mark's having a bit of a bad time, something's or whatever the case may be, and then we knew how to deal with it. But they they then trained with the first team, and the reason why they trained with the first team was because you can you can bring young players up, and if they're found wanting a bit, then the the the, uh, the drills break down, the, the possession breaks down. And then senior players then, if they are on the pass, them sometimes won't pass them because they know it's going to break down. So they take a different pass, you know. But these all these boys were so good with the ball and so technically very good because they come through a good academy setup. Yeah, yeah. That we were able to play high tempo games, good possession games, and they joined in in these games and play them as senior players. Now the object of that was whenever I called them into the first team the fear factor had gone because they'd been training with these players and, and the players knew them. So they were first, their first term names yeah, with yeah. the players. So the fear factor was away from them. I'm not saying they weren't a bit nervous, obviously playing their, making their senior debut, but um, but they coped better, I believe. Yeah, the transition like, was certainly a lot easier. 
for oh, the life. Not, not like me. Whenever I got my call up the Glentorn team against Cliftonville, I remember sitting in the change rooms and Billy McCaig tells tells a story. He says that the manager named the team and I'm still sitting there looking around me. And he came up to me and says to me, are you going to get changed? I says, what for? He says, because you're playing. What? He says, you're playing. I was starstruck with all the players in the, in, in the, the room. Yeah. I didn't I didn't hear my name called it. <laughs> you know, so these so you learn from these things, you think, oh, what was it like when I was there? So you bring these other aspects in, into it. And uh that was brilliant. And oh, was we, had, we had a great time at, at um, we had European games. We ended up qualifying for Europe, what was it, eight four times in six mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um and we went to Europe. And we, we took the kids with us. We took the young players with us. Mm-hmm. And we had 18-year-olds and 17-year-olds playing in Europe and do, holding their own. Yeah, and, yeah. And doing a good job, you know. I mean, the importance that you had on youth, I mean, that was a special time. Was That was when I first came to the club. And to have yourself as a mentor and some of the other coaches that are around Alexander that sort of took me underneath their wing. Because I was a young coach at that time. I was maybe 24, 25 years of age. And going up there to a club that really put their sole importance in in the youth. I mean, yes. I always remember you telling us when I was involved with the under-18s that you wanted your under-18s like under-16s and you wanted your reserve team like the under-18s. 100%. And, the, yeah. and yeah. they would be supplemented with, with players who are maybe coming back from injury, first-team players yeah. coming back. And, you know, you were very selectful of who you had at your club, not just from a staffing point of view, but also from a playing point of view, it was already that you've discussed about about matching up the the first team players, the seniors with the with the young lads. When they dropped down a senior player to the reserve team, it, it was a luxury. I mean, for me, the the year I managed the uh, the reserve team for you, having these first team players coming down, that they still went out and performed to the same level that they would have done for you and the first team, was just an absolute joy to have and mix up with the kids. Because of the characters, the characters were there and they had a responsibility to the young players because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they were mentoring the young players. So they couldn't turn up on a reserve game with their head in the clouds and angry because they're not in the first team. And then, because that's showing the wrong message to the young players. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they knew they had a responsibility because it, mm-hmm. was in, it was given, that responsibility was given to them. Mm-hmm. And we looked at the, when I was signing players, Coming back from England, we looked at their character. We looked at their well, what they call now baggage, what baggage they bring and stuff like. But we looked at their character, and they were decent. And we'd done our groundwork with them, found out more about them, and they were all top top class lads. We brought Paul Muir, Wayne Buchanan, brought back Andrew Dixon, um, oh, Bo Willis, just brilliant. And then we and and. Then because the club then progressed and started to get better and stuff, we always played through the thirds. My philosophy was always to play through the thirds, mm-hmm. not to go long. I was told you, you would never win none going long or not playing football, not in Irish League football. Well, I decided I was going to do it. And yeah. I'm pretty headstrong that way. And we did mm-hmm. do it. We got out of the first division playing football when everybody else was kicking and rushing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we continued to play that, that way. And uh, I remember going to Linfield and... Well, sorry, prior to that, we started sending better players because Peter McCann's, Ram McCann's, um, Francis Murphy's, uh, Jared Little's, Higgins, all those boys, mm-hmm. all good characters mm-hmm. and good lads. So they were, you know. And uh, 
So then we became a better, much, much better side, and, and yeah. the football was great. And I remember going to Linfield, and Linfield beat us 1 0, and we were by far the better side at Windsor. And I felt sorry for the players that, that, that particular day. And I got them in that circle in the middle before we went off, and the, the Linfield supporters stayed and clapped them. They waited till we came off the pitch. And I had them in a huddle talking to them, telling them how proud I was of the performance and how good we were, and re emphasizing all the good points in the game. And Noel Bailey, who's a legend um, of Linfield, thousand odd games, mm. he came walking by and he tapped me on the shoulder and he says, Excuse me, Paul, do you, would you mind if I said something? He says, That's the best display of football, he says, I've seen at Windsor Park from an Irish League club. Amazing. When that comes from him, mm-hmm. that that means something. Yeah, you know that means I'm, something. And I just I'm looked at the rest of the players and I says, "I think he said it all." Yeah, exactly. Let's go. And we walked off the pitch, and the, the blue men clapped us off the pitch. And I mean, great. anybody anybody listening to this podcast from outside of Northern Ireland. The story had no divine right to be up there. I mean, as Paul's already described, I mean, gaining the promotion to the Premiership, a fan base of a couple of hundred supporters, it was a club that had no divine right to be up challenging for European spaces. I mean, it just proves the uh, the job uh, that you did uh, collectively with the players. Well, we all did it um, from youth football, right, the whole from the club structure the whole way down. Everybody had their part to play. The kit man, the physios, the... the, the we were the first to bring in a, a, a sports psychologist, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they all, everybody had their part to play, and none less so than the players, yeah. who who all were magnificent. They only get results through players, yeah. You know, yeah. that's you know, that's that's where the results come from, and and we were fortunate, you know. And and anybody that knows you well knows uh, that you're very very strong minded, and when it comes to discipline. <laughs> I remember a few great times that there was a cup final involving a player that you substituted. If you want to tell us a wee bit about that story, uh, well, he, he wasn't doing what I'd ask him to do in, at half time, and he he gave the penalty away. And not that he gave the penalty away; it was stupid for doing that. But I just thought I need to take him off because his head's gone. Mm. And I substituted him. And he took his shirt off and he threw it towards a dugout. Well, I tell you what, the steam went from honestly. <laughs> I chased him up the tunnel. And I grabbed him at the top of the tongue <laughs> and pinned him against the, 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 the wall. And a steward came running up the tunnel after me and he grabbed me. He says, oh, you can't do that. And I told him, I says, you get in there, you get yourself changed and you be out of there before I come back. <laughs> so I did, have a, I did have a fuse that was that, that could be ignited at, at any time. Um, when things didn't please me and when I seen things that got there, you know, because I was respectful for them. I yeah. didn't expect that to come back at me in, in, in terms of that there. Having said that, you know, I, I remember Lawrence and where God love them, the, you know, what you said, they weren't a big club distillery and, and for to have beakers like mugs with tea and stuff at half time, the, the white mugs come into the, the dressing room for us because we were the, the whites um, yeah. and the navy blue ones went into the away dressing room and we were getting beat 1-0 one, one against I was pouring down my rain, lashing it down my rain. And a good friend of ours, Donald Malmo Paris, he was a coach there at the time. And Donald loved to get the boys ready and stuff like that there. And at half time we come in and I was fuming at the, the performance. And Ronnie Cromie, my assistant, he, he pulls me to the one side and he says, now relax. Just 
just sat down. He says, I know you're angry, but he was my sober side. And <laughs> I, said, oh, I says, I'm okay, Ronnie, I'm okay. And he says to me, I actually believed you, you know. <laughs> I walked in the changing room. That time, Donald had walked around the changing room, hunting everybody out a cup of tea. And when I walked through the door, he, he had one cup of tea left, which was for me. And he handed the tray to me for the, for the cup of tea. I took a tray off him. Walked around all the players, put your cup on, put your cup on, put your cup on. And they all had to put their cup of tea back on the tray again. And I walked into the shower and I let fly. And there was Delph Cutler. Oh, it was, it was battling. <laughs> I, tiles were coming off the shower walls. And then I came in and what I'd give them, oh, it wasn't normal. Threw them back outside to start in the pouring rain. The other team came out and we won three one. <laughs> so... Sometimes it works for you, sometimes it <laughs> And you did know? you replace the chain of cups? <laughs> no, they were never replaced. We got we got we got plastic ones from that moment in time onwards. <laughs> so we did. Oh, yeah. that's brilliant. Now as, as as a rookie coach back then, I used to and I took the under 18s. We would have kicked off earlier on a Saturday and we played when we had a home game that was very, very close to the stadium. So I used to always try and get tidied up after our game to race down to see the uh, the first team game. And if I was fortunate enough and got away in time, I would have been down in, in time to come into the changing room and, and listen to your team talks and try to take some inspiration and advice from you. But uh, there was one that always sticks in my mind. You, now you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You must have forgot a brave bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, here there's one that I never forgot about was the the talcum powder story. Oh gosh, I, oh my goodness, that was another moment of absolute sheer madness, wasn't it? Where uh, again, performance wasn't particularly good, and I walked into the changing rooms and I was looking around for, I, I didn't know what to say, and I was, I was, I was furious, and I was walking around and walking around like a, a cat, and and I noticed this large uh, tub of talcum powder and I grabbed the the tub of talcum powder and I looked at the back wall players and I remember lifting this tub of talcum powder and saying to them you know the performance what a what playing that it's not too and I lifted and I let fly with this tub of talcum powder and the thing exploded and the dust was up in the air and I'm trying to shout at the players and and, and they ended up, I was, it was catching me in the throat and I was saying, this, because <laughs> we were choking on it. <laughs> so eventually we, we, we got out what we needed to say and we sent the boys back out and we come out at half, out half time and we're standing there in the dugout and, and my, uh, my assistant, Ronnie Crummy, says to me, he says, have a look at the top. Have a look at, at Clifford, Gary Clifford. He was playing on the left side for me, so he was over at my dugout side. I says, and I looked over, and I says, what? He says, have a look at him. <laughs> says, I'm looking at him. He says, have a look at his head. And I looked, and there was this white film of talcum powder sitting all over. He, so he, he came in at half time, black hair, and he went out. <laughs> he went out, pure white. And all the all the talcum powder it all and we drizzle it come on it all caked in this uh, so I thought you, then you know what I, I've got to stop this nonsense I was young I was early on in my um, as a manager early on in my career so oh, it was brilliant well here well, we we took, we, we took our seats back in the um in the stand and we were sitting in front of where the BBC co-commentators 
Uh, they were commentating on the match and the and they couldn't work out. Gary Clifford's come out the second half and hmm, must have been the team talk. He must have been stressed. He's went from having jet black hair to having white hair. They couldn't work out. Uh, what happened. It was it's grey hair. Uh, very, very, so funny, so funny. So um, that 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 wasn't one trait that I brought in the the, the no, team. No, we can't, team no, we can't do that. that. <laughs> we can't do that. You know. So. <laughs> But I mean, I mean, the other thing as well. I mean, we have listeners of this podcast, you know, all over Europe. Um, we have our a lot that listen in Portugal, and obviously, it's completely different over there. It's food time. That's a favorite place, man. I'll be going there in the end of May, so well, Portugal. Oh, so we're, lovely, we're lovely, lovely place. Portugal's a lovely place. Yeah, oh, it's a, it's a firm favorite and, of mine as well. Yeah. But I mean, I always remember when the European games, you know, tell us about the story of one of the visiting managers. He couldn't get over when he went and came into the stadium for them to do the warm up. Oh, and you were sitting on the lawn and they were looking for the first team manager. I mean, talk us through that. Uh, well, and, and then on everything, I cut the pitch, I painted the change rooms, uh, painted the floors, I got everything prepared, I put the goals up the pre season, got them new nets put up, everything. And we played, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the team. Um, Lithuania, a team from Lithuania. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vilnius, we played them. And we played them away from home. And we did well. We were very unlucky not to win that match. So we got we got beat 1-0. Uh, but Bo Willis hit the underside of the bar. And had it been VAR, those watches with the zimmers on them, the zips on them. <laughs> that'll probably give us a goal, but not in the end days. Um, so we, we brought them back then, obviously, to play us at home. And they came, they're allowed to train on the pitch. So I'm out on the pitch with my big bench coat on me and my, my hat and my big cap on me because cutting away at the pitch. And they're running around looking for the manager. He wanted to have a chat with me, you know, to meet up with me again. And... Uh, I'm out on the pitch, cutting the pitch, and I was just coming off the pitch as they were going onto the pitch, and I was coming off with the the, the tractor or the the, the mowing machine, and he looked at me and I says, "All right, what about you?" And <laughs> says, and he looked at me, and he says, "I know you," and I I said I took my hat off and I, I pulled my muffler down. He says, "Oh." Manager, I says, yeah, manager, grounds man, painter, decorator, <laughs> coach. He couldn't believe that I was doing everything. It's a, a, a different, different world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, indeed, you know. But, but I mean, you, you great success at the story, and I mean, I look up back on those years of great fondness because of what a great mentor that I had in you and, and, and Raymond. It really helped develop me to who I am now as a coach and stuff. And, uh, I mean, you still took that passion on, you know, into your later years in junior football. You had a lot of success with clubs before yeah. that you getting back involved with the youth football. Yeah, well, I went, I, I went, uh, I, I needed to be involved. So I did, you know, so I, I, I took on a job at Lisburn Rangers in the amateur league. Um, they were down around the bottom of, 2B or something they got there. So again, the first thing I did when I was went there, the, the team was too old. I went and watched them. were too old. So a lot of the players had been there for too long and hadn't legs or anything. So I went and looked at the youth team playing and there was five or six youth team players that I thought could do a good job. So my first fight then was with the youth team managers because they then were saying, oh, we, well, they're our best players and stuff. Well, they're going into the first team. So they moved, not even into the reserve team. They came from 18 straight into the first team. 
that caused a problem then around the club because they were saying, we're trying, we don't need to be relegated. I said, you won't be relegated. These kids will do a job for us. And we ended up fifth from bottom to fifth or something in, in, in 2B. Mm-hmm. And those kids were magnificent. And we continued to play those young players and add to them and add to them. And eventually at Lisbon Rangers, we then got out of 2B, and or sorry, 1B into 1A and then from 1A into the Premier League. So we had with two promotions with a, a lot of younger players playing in the team and playing some magnificent football into the bargain. Um, so uh, like everything else, once we got there in the, the Premier League, things always go a bit, bit sorry, you know, because I'm, I'm probably hard, hard to get on with maybe at times. So it's probably a lot of fault down to me as well. It's my way or no way at times, you know, and it's something I haven't been able to change. Um, but I decided then, well, you're in, you've got to where you need to be, Premier League. So I joined then Rothrain Football Club. And uh, by the time I left them, um, we were top of the league by about seven points and we just won the Border Cup, which is the biggest cup in, in junior and amateur football. So it was. Now, in that period as well, over those five years in, in junior football, um, I was fortunate enough to be asked to, to run the the Amateur League Britain Rose Pole team, which to play Scotland every year in an amateur international. Um, we won that three years in a row. So it was pretty good success in terms of that. You know, two promotions, a, a Border Cup final and uh, three Britain Rose Bowls. It was pretty good, yeah. five years. And then I decided then enough's enough. And then that's when you came in to me, Tim, and said to me, look, as you do, you've got this persuasive way. Would you would you come in and take this week 2010 or 2012 team until I get a coach for three or four weeks to give me a coach? And I said to you, well, I'll do it for three or four weeks, you know, and I've been there, what, now, two and a half years or something? Yeah. <laughs> and the kids are coming up and they're saying, We'll see you on Tuesday, sir. We'll see you on Tuesday, you know. And he can't turn around and say, no, you won't see me on Tuesday, you know. <laughs> so so now I'm known now I'm known with all our kids as Mr., as Willy Wonka because <laughs> on a Saturday morning now we, we, we train, what, Tuesday and Thursday night? Yeah. And we have, we have a game on the Saturday morning then. And and what I've done is, uh, I've, I've, I do anyway, is I call in the guys on the way to the game and I buy like... Um, 22 Mars bars or something they got there. And, and then I give all our kids a Mars bar after the game. And I give my captain, or, which is wee Bobby, um, wee Bobby Firmino, we call him. Um, <laughs> we give wee Bobby then 11 Mars bars to take across to the opposition. Right. And then gives them to the players over there. Just as a wee gesture in terms of uh, sportsmanship and yeah. being good to play against them and stuff like that. There, so um, and it's amazing. And the kids as well. Yeah, I mean the enthusiasm you still have toward this game and working with the young people. I mean that's why uh, I think that uh, this sort of four week period that you're coming in to help us will continue for another couple of years. Uh, Oh, well, we'll see. Well, that's to be discussed. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd get you to agree to the new contract verbally on the podcast. Uh, no, you can't, you can't tell me down that there. <laughs> but, I mean, you had great success as well, Bragg. I mean, you've done a double. 
uh, with the with the two thousand and two age group. Yeah, we did. We're, we're a good we're a good bunch of kids then. So we had really, and some of them went on to even play at a higher level now. So we had, but again, Tim and me, and in my way, it was it was again teaching them the game. You know, we we were doing patterns and and teaching them where they should be at a certain time, and um, we had some very talented players. We had a son who's now got a contract at, at uh, Sheffield United. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's making great progress as a, as a boy. And uh, I remember Hassan coming in to me the first time you said to me, Hassan's coming back from America um, yeah. to join us. And I thought, well, he's, he's a good talent, that kid, you know. And our first game was on the Sunday. And I remember he came in and I shook hands with him and I said, it's good to see you and stuff like that. And, I says, come on over to the change rooms and we'll get you changed. I'll get you a kit here and you get changed for the game, you know. And when we were walking across and I, I was saying, well, you're looking forward to the game. And I says, what sort of a player are you? What, what do you like? What's your likes in football? What do you like doing in football when you're out on the pitch and stuff like that? And I remember him saying to me, I'm a bit like Neymar. He says, he says I, I like to get on the ball and do things and then just stand there about for a bit. Down there, you know, get on the ball again and do something good and then stand there about a bit. And I remember stopping them and I says to them, now, before we go over and get this kit, I says, you need to know something. I says, we don't dander over here. We don't walk. I says, that's for Neymar. Neymar's a top-class player. He can walk wherever he wants. <laughs> I says, but you won't be walking wherever you want. I says, you will be running as hard as the rest of the boys. And he looked at me and he says, okay. <laughs> now, he did, to be fair on the kid, and he was outstanding player. Absolutely mm. outstanding. When he put the hard work in, along with his talent, mm. there was nobody better. Mm. Probably one of the most talented players I worked with. Yeah, yes, hundred percent. And a lovely lad, lovely lad, nice mm -hmm. family, lovely mm -hmm. lad. Mm -hmm. You know, and they've made sacrifices for that boy. And yeah, fair play to them all. You know, yeah. but yeah. it was great. You know, yeah. And I think just to finish on. For young coaches or any coaches that are listening to this podcast, what advice would you give them? Learn the game. Have an open mind to everything that's going on there. Don't close your mind to anything. There's you know, there's good the good to be got from everything. Look at I like to watch. I mean, I was watching the Manchester United game on, on Sunday there, and the boys were saying to me about the game. I says I'm more interested to find out what Bielsa is going to do at half-time mm -hmm. to change the game. So, you know, as a coach, don't watch it as a supporter or as a spectator. Mm -hmm. Watch it as a coach. Mm -hmm. Understand what's going on on the pitch. Yeah. Instead of watching it, don't commentate. Yeah. Let, don't tell them where to pass the ball, what to do. You know, leave at the half-time, get it organised then. Um mm -hmm. But and then once United went to two each, then the boys turned around to me and they said to me, "Suppose you're looking to see what Ran uh, Ranyak is it? Or yeah. Ranyak yeah. is going to do." I says, "100 percent." Yeah, you know. But study the game, put the hard work into the game, and as I said at the outset, you know, when you get that opportunity, it'll not be luck. I'll say it again: luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity mm. Brilliant. work hard so when that opportunity arises you're there to take it but learn the game study the game 
every day look at things. Look at a training session. Look at a, a, a passing drill. This is what I've been doing all my days. I look at a passing drill and think, how can I improve on that? What could I add into that that makes it more match-related? Yeah. yeah. All the practices that I do are game-related. And they're yeah. built around shapes, triangles, squares, diamonds. They're all, all built around shapes because kids understand shapes. Yeah. You know, they understand shapes and they can Graham. see it. So they do, you know. But I've enjoyed that, Tim. That was very good. Oh, hope, it was absolutely brilliant. I hope your listeners enjoy it as as much as I've enjoyed talking to you. Um, you've been a good friend to me for a long, long time, and it will continue. So it will. And you know that yeah. the support's are for you. Oh, no, I love it. Any I really appreciate it. Because, I mean, I'm telling you what, you helped me grow. Uh, not just as a football coach but as a person and uh, always value your time that's why if the listeners are wondering why I still call you gaffer without respect and uh, I really appreciate your time today strangely a lot of players still call me that they don't know to call me Paul even the old <laughs> players that played for me when I see them outside it's alright gaffer how's it going gaffer Brilliant. so it's just it's just something that happens isn't it yeah, oh, it's lovely, but I really appreciate your time today, Gaffer, and uh, it's been a great insight, and I'm sure coaches got so much out of this today. And if uh, anybody wants to continue following your journey, normally this is always finishing this question, sort of saying, reach out, you know, your social media handle, but you don't tend to do the social media so much, no? Well, I'm not a great lover of social media, you know, so I'm not, but I can go through you, I can, yeah. I can, I can put some posts up at, some uh, some some of the stuff that I would do with age groups um, and explain how we do it. So we could do that at some stage, yeah. we could video it, and then explain what we're doing. Brilliant. So if anybody's got any questions, as a follow-up. If I can help anybody out there, I'll help them out. That's fantastic. That's what, what happened to me. That's why I like to give out. Yeah. No, I love that. Great ways. So if there's any, anybody listening to the podcast that wants more advice or wants to ask a question to Paul, just reach out just on our handle at TW Sports Group and we can get the question to Paul and we'll get back to you. That's the passion that uh, the gaffer has to help out coaches of all levels in this game. So, gaffer, thanks for your time. Pleasure, Tim. Have a good day. And you too. To all our listeners, have a good day out there and I hope you enjoy this. Brilliant. All the best. Thank you very much. Bye. All right, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to Paul Kirk and thank you to everyone for listening. Please remember to subscribe to our weekly podcast and share with your friends. You can become a paid subscriber to help support the podcast and access bonus material from only $1.99 per month. The bonus material features every guest's favourite selection of music, their dream team and a fun quick round Q&A. You can also give us a review, would be great. You can get in touch for a shout out by emailing tim at twsports.org. Just put podcast in the subject box. You can receive my weekly video training sessions by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash twsportsgroup. Thanks for listening. I'm Tim Waring and I'll be back next week with another episode on the TW Sports Group podcast. Speak then and take care.